and talking to our friends. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Hellboy Book Club. My name is John Salinas, and I'm here with... Aubrey Loveless. And I'm Danielle. And I'm Matt Schreckbein. Hey! All right, and so, hey, everybody, this is our continuation from the previous episode, and on with the discussion. All right, and next we're going to move on to BPRD Hell on Earth, The Abyss of Time. This is a two-issue miniseries published from January to February 2013. Story by Mignola and Ali. Art by James Heron. So we get James Heron again. Nice. And colors by Dave Stewart and letters by Clem Robbins. I just want to talk about these covers really quick. These are two of my favorite covers. We're looking at the omnibus here. And so they have one cover here and then they put the other one in the sketchbook section. And I think that's fine, but they look so great side by side. I really wish that they had put them together because when you kind of look at them together, they're kind of like... Oh, um, that is... Yeah, they should have put them together. Yeah. Can I see? That's yeah. super cool. We open in Chicago, and just like The Long Death, we immediately take note of Heron's unique style. This opening shot of just a building in the rain looks amazing. So what do we know about Chicago in terms of this universe? Um, I don't know. Well, Sir Edward Gray was last seen in Chicago. Ah, okay. Okay. We know that. Don't we know that already? Um, I think so, because I think Kate talked about that when she, uh, didn't she talk about Sir Edward Gray? Somebody did. In one of their briefings or something? Somebody did. Yeah. Maybe it was Abe when he was talking to Broom and he's like showing him that picture. Oh yeah, Broom also mentioned Sir Edward Gray to Abe. Yeah. Yeah, I have to go back and look at that. Okay, awesome. So we see these BPRD agents and they're with this street kid, Scotty, and he's leading them into the building... As they go in there, one of these agents, he mentions that he can't get a signal on his walking. Know what that means, he says. Doesn't mean anything, another agent says. You heard what happened to Vaughn and Chris Peters in South Carolina when their radios went out. The other agent says, shut the hell up, nothing happened in South Carolina. But we get a flashback to Pickens County. Right. Yeah, I just like whenever we get references to all, the, all these other stories. Like how he said, uh, you, know, so you know what that means? He's like, it just means technology isn't perfect. Right. Stop trying to freak the kid out. Yeah, <laughs> and the way that Heron draws this street kid, Scotty, he looks really nervous. Yeah. He just looks really shaky. As we get into the series more, there's something about the way Heron draws eyeballs. Yeah. It's just really great, and it really lends a lot of uh, characterization to the different people in this story. I love how on every fucking mission, there's always got to be like one person who's like, there's nothing here. I right. don't see anything. You guys are, this is a waste of time. I don't see anything worth it. Cut the kid loose. We're not going to give him a finder's fee. And the kid's like, we haven't gotten there yet. Right. Like, it's not, it's not here yet. And so Scotty leads them deeper down, and they find this large double door. Scotty says he won't go in there. I went in there one time. I felt something weird, a chill or something. Doesn't matter. Everyone knows there's something bad down there. That's why no one crashes in this place. So I, I invented a game. It's called the Paranormal Game. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I used to call it Hot Spots, but that doesn't sound right. You need people who live in the same house. So two or more people that live in the same house. And then you ask them this one question and get them to write their answers down separately on pieces of paper or something. Uh-huh. And then com- compare them after they've written them down. And the question is, so remember, you got to live in the same house. And the question is, write down the number one spot in your house where you think you felt some sort of paranormal activity. Okay. And then you can imagine if your answers are the same. See if yeah. they're all the same, yeah. 
pretty creepy, right? But if there's like six people that live in your house and they all write down the same thing, six times it's creepy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The other thing, so so that's just like a game. It's like a cool like parlor game. Or yeah, parlor, yeah. If you're at a whatever. party or something, it's or, interesting. Yeah, social game. I actually like all my like my my grandmother, grandfather, my mother, and her two sisters, my aunts. They all of of course, obviously, at one point in time, lived together or whatever, right? And so like over the years. They would all tell me these, these like ghost stories, and they all kind of match up. So like one time we were all sitting around playing like a game, like a board game at the table. Uh, someone said something. I was like, "Oh, that reminds me of the story you told me about the y'all. Y'all all have been telling me about the whatever the ghost." And they all looked at each other like, and I was like, "Yeah, because didn't you tell me this and you told me that?" And then like they would all start talking to each other, and my aunt would talk to my mom mm-hmm. about, "You never told me that you saw a thing. Why didn't you tell me that you? Because I felt crazy." And my mom was like, "Well, I didn't want anything to think that I was crazy." And then grandma was like, "You know, I always thought that the sun should." I was like, "Yeah, but you told me this." And then everyone was just like. All of a sudden, wow. like you never told me that you knew this the whole fucking time they for thirty years. Similar, yeah. yeah. And so, like, it just goes to show. Like, That's crazy. They, but these were all like, corroborated separately, right? Right. And none of them knew that the other ones had stories about it, and wow. everyone had told me all of this stuff, and I was the only one. Who the knew. one I was like, wait, y'all. <laughs> I thought that y'all all had gotten together to like try and freak me out. I just thought it was interesting, and they were like, no, man, like this is. And I was like, oh shit, like they all. We're independently well, I, I corroborating the story. It was really interesting that they were all like shocked that each other knew about it anyway. It's so creepy. I think the other thing it does, though, is if you agree that there's a place where you, quote, felt something in your house. Right. You should look into that because it could be like an electrical thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Or you're standing next to a vent and then that leads down to the basement where you have like a bunch of paint thinner. You know, oh right. (laughs) (laughs) Could be like a health concern as much as it could be a ghost. Yeah, sure. Well, you never know, like what they were. I don't know. You know, there there is such a thing as like um, what's it called? Group hallucination. Oh, sure. Isn't that what that is? Crowd hallucination or something like that. I don't even know what that. Mm. But it's like. Yeah, I know know what you're talking about. Yeah, you never hysteria shared hallucination. Shared hallucination. I think is what they refer to it Mm. as. Shared hallucination. I don't know. I have no idea. But. Yeah, there might have been like some sort of a gas leak in that one area of the house. Right, or I have yeah. no idea. Mm-hmm. Well, didn't they say like the uh, the Oracle of Delphi was like like that cave like had like a natural gas fissure coming out of it? Oh, nice. right, yeah. And, you know that's why people were getting visions, and that's why she had the visions or something like wow. that. Wow. Yeah. So play the paranormal game in your houses and look for yeah look for ghosts and or gas health leaks, concerns. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the agents they let scotty go and they open the door and they go in and when they go in they see this painting it says and larzad said behold and light sprang forth out of his eye and one of the agents reads the rest of it you can't see it on the painting but apparently it says and the darkness of that place became as day and things hidden since before the coming of man were revealed and it was like in the beginning when atam ra with his great eye looked into the abyssal waste of the noon and saw it and had understanding of it. And so when we mentioned Larzad and all this stuff, we we probably know, and one of the agents also knows, this is a reference to the Heliopic Brotherhood. We know that Larzad appeared before them. Uh, they talked about it that in the Witchfinder series. 19th century occultists, Egyptologists, weirdos. They started out in France, then spread to England. That's where they ran into trouble. Is that Witchfinder? Yeah, Sir Edward Gray, I, I think. Thought, I'm sorry, I thought she was just talking about weirdos in general. I was like, wait, wait. Oh. <laughs> and uh, they also mentioned the Jack the Ripper murders. 
There was a rumor they had something to do with that. Things got ugly, and eventually they were run out of the country. So I thought this little comment was really interesting, too, because apparently there is a rumor that the reason why Edward Gray left the Majesty's Secret Service was over something with Jack the Ripper they mentioned in another story. Interesting. So, yeah, I, I caught that little connection when I was reading through. And one of the other agents, this is Howard's up here, he also finds bullet holes in the wall. They come across this case and all these pictures and so this is kind of bringing back to Sir Edward Gray and all that. At the end of In the Service of Angels, we talked about how the Heliopic Brotherhood, they went and established a headquarters somewhere else. Remember that guy that we were calling Liam Neeson? Yeah. And so yeah. at the very end, they show them in their new headquarters and they're communicating with like this thing in like a jar or whatever. And behind them is the case and it looks just like this one. Yeah. And it had the sword in there too. Because they took the sword from Sir Edward Grey I remember. Um, in that story also. So yeah, and as they're looking through all this, they find these pictures. One of the agents says, this place reminds me of pictures I saw from a job where Hellboy stumbled into a room sort of like this. And so that's Dr. Karp's experiment, right? Which we also saw. And they have those uh, kind of electric prods or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so as they're looking around, this one agent, he opens the case and he finds that sword, that kind of double tip sword, and he puts yeah. his hand on it. And when he puts his hand on it, he like his eyes roll back and he just passes out. And they come over to him, Howard's, he's right here. What's that thing he's holding? You know, they're like, is he dead? And we kind of see that it blacks out. And I just love the inside of the case. This one panel where he's taking the sword and you can see all the kind of things in there. Um, you can see like these masks in there. And I remember there was a... in. In the service of angels, there was one of those Heliopic Brotherhood guys that wore kind of a mask that We're looked about like to that. Get to the cool part. Yes. And so they're like, is he dead? And he blacks out and then he wakes up and he's in like this, uh, he's with all these natives, right? And it kind of looks like nomadic people or they're, yeah. Yeah. you know, there's this whole other scene going on. They're calling him Galdenar. He's got the sword. That's how you know it's him. Yeah, he's got the sword. And so apparently there had been some battle. And he's, you know, they think he's dead, but this shaman guy, he says that he, it's just the wound from his head. And so when the, when he wakes up, Galdenar, he's like, what? what's going on? He's like, why do you keep calling me that? He's like, what happened? So we get the sense right away that this is the agent, right? Yeah. He woke oh, up yeah. in his body and he has no recollection of it. And so I love how it just <laughs> throws you into yeah. this and you're like, what the fuck is happening? And I just really like when stories kind of super good make you kind of figure it out. I love a the bit. look on his face when the shaman's just like, hey, you need to like lie down. And right. He just, he just <laughs> what? Yeah. His face. He's like, you don't remember the battle? Your father was killed after the enemy was driven off. I saw him lying there. Gal Hadat, our chief warrior... His weapon, his father's weapon, buried in the skull of an enemy. I wrenched it free and presented it to you. And as soon as you touched it, you fell. And for a moment, I thought you had succumbed to your wound. Now we're getting the other side of it, too. So it was his father's right. weapon and when the shaman gave it to him. So this idea that it happened in both timelines or whatever. Where you know. he grabbed it and then the other guy grabbed it. And that had to have happened at the exact same moment. Right. And that is the thing that happened. And, and that makes you think about the nature of reality and time in a way that kind of it breaks your brain, which yes, I love yes. to death. I love it so much. Well, it's kind of funny because I was sitting here thinking that uh, he kind of quantum leaped back in time. But then that just made me think, okay, they both grabbed the sword at the same time. Maybe they're quantum entangled together. Yeah, exactly. Right. 
Yeah. It also made me think of that weird thing with Abe where he's part of his own origin uh-huh. or yeah. whatever, right? It's great. Right, yeah. That's why – and so that that's also Dr. Karp's experiment when they, oh, yeah. take some of, yeah. they take some of Hellboy's blood, right? And, and then he like, finds well, – yeah. Yeah, how's that happening? Like how how does this time travel thing work? So I had like a, a real harebrained idea or theory. Long, long story short, I was wrong. But <laughs> – but I thought this sword was the sword in the BPRD logo. Mm. Um, oh, yeah. They never... It's so weird. In, in a universe where symbols uh, have no, so much meaning... apparently it's Excalibur. Yeah, they they never explain what that sword actually is. I do think it... Remember St. Leonard? Yeah. From Nature of the Beast? There is a panel on the second page of that story... That looks exactly like the BPRD logo. Oh, I'm gonna have to go back and look at that. I think that's what it what it might be. But I always thought, or for a time, I thought it was this sword. And the reason they didn't show the top of the sword in the oh, logo, oh yeah, because it would be a giveaway. Like I said, I was wrong. <laughs> but something does happen in future issues. Yeah, that made me think there that connection was right, and that and that I was correct. I wasn't. But anyway, <laughs> when you get there, maybe we'll revisit that. Yeah. And I remember seeing in one of the sketchbooks, I forget which one it is, but Mignola is figuring out the design of the BPRD logo. And I think at first it was going to be an angel holding a sword. And mm-hmm. then he just fo- he just decided to focus in on the hand instead of it be a whole thing because it made it simpler. I'll have to go back and look for that. But I, I think I recall seeing something like that. I don't even see it as time travel at all. I don't. I see right. it as a way of looking at various realities right. and how they are interacting with one another, and what is the focal point of this interaction? And it's this sword. So there's something about it. So it's just a very. I just see it as like as just different ways of like of looking at reality and the various the various ways that the, I guess you said something about like entanglement. Quantum yeah. entanglement. Yeah, but it's it's something it's it has more to do with reality than it does with time because time itself is not even a that's in and of itself is the way that we are interacting with various dimensions that we inhabit. It's not actually a thing. Right. So it's anyway. Mm, no. it could be could be the title, the abyss of time. Right. Right. You know, it's just kind of a bottomless pit or whatever. So what you were just talking about reminded me of, did you ever read Slaughterhouse-Five by Kurt Vonnegut? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. remember how the character kind of, I guess, moved through time just right. by, like, changing his awareness? Yeah. yeah. So that's, you know. Yeah. That's great, yeah. yeah. I love that book. He tells Galdenar that they're at war with the cold people. And we get these awesome shots by James Heron showing them battling I just love how he draws them. And again, I was talking about the eyeballs earlier. That just lends like a whole other creep factor to these cold people monsters. Well, and you also uh, several times mentioned like the movement, the sense of movement that this artist is able to portray and and this, you know, the speed with which the the ferocity with which they're fighting and how they manage to place every line just exactly correctly is very... Yeah, and these these two pages back to back are like double wide, and I just really love the format of them too because like the second set almost have the bottom panel of like traditional comics, but the, it's tied together with this top panel. I just really like the design layout of all that. Right. I like how it's like you got the top panel running across the whole 
double page spread and then on the one side it's three vertical and then it's three horizontal. Yeah. So I just thought that was a really really neat layout. And it flows well. It doesn't like throw yeah. you off or anything. All the like blood splattering all over the place. And this is just this is my shit right here. I get excited about it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And they mentioned Carr. He's this one with the with the hair going back. He's their tracker and so he went to go find out where the cold people sleep. We will make sure their dead stay dead. We see all the um, all the people with Galdenar. They're they're destroying all the bodies of the cold people and burning them. They talk to Carr and they ask him what he saw, and he says that he followed them into a valley not far from here. It felt wrong somehow. No living thing makes its home in that cursed place. I tell you, as though something bad happened there. Galdenar said. And so they all kind of talk about what should they do. Their previous leader just died. Galdenar, he kind of hesitates a little bit because they're like, oh, I don't know if we should go down there. And he doesn't know what to say. And so this shaman guy, he's like, can't you see they need your resolve? You know, they, they, they need him to be able to make a decision. Our new chieftain grieves his father. Tend to your fallen. So he kind of like gives him the night off. He's like, go chill out. Let this guy kind of regain himself. And then so this shaman guy... I forgot what his name is. They say it later, but he has a talk with Galdenar, and I just love this nighttime shot with, you can see everything in the sky, and it just makes me think about, like, when there was no light pollution and stuff like that, like, it would look like that at night. You know what I mean? It seems like such a foreign thing living in a city, but it's... That's what people used to see when they looked up at the fucking sky. Every single night, people would see that, and now hardly any of us see that in living in, in so much light pollution. That's actually one of the things I missed about living in that small town was there wasn't as much light pollution and you could look up and yeah. just see stars. Right. And there was still enough you couldn't really see galaxies, but right. way more than we can see here in Houston. Right. You have to actually search out like a registered dark sky park yeah. where right. they it's like they have a, a certain amount of, of space that is like like, oh, you can't have light pollution in this area because it's like one of the last places on fucking Earth that you can still see the galaxy from right. from Earth. And Galdenar, he says, while I lay unconscious, I had a dream. And the shaman's like, you're not the kind to be distracted by visions. Leave that to old women. But Galdenar says, you're right, I'm not that kind of man. But this world I dreamt of, it was overrun with monsters. Like the cold people, the shaman asks. Worse, Galdenar says. And we turn this page and it's just, oh my god. We get James Heron's version of that monster from Seattle. And this top one, I think that's the Salton Sea monster. And then we see those bat face monsters. And this panel is just, it blows my mind. I'm just like, oh my God, this is so great. That's even a vision of Seattle because you can see the Space Needle back yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. So again, this makes you think about how Howard's and Galdenar are tied together because Howard's has seen this stuff. I mean, you know, he yeah. was, he's probably been part, maybe been part of some of these missions. I love the way that the sparks off the fire are. Oh yeah, on the previous page where the, yeah, it's well, really this beautiful. Page too, oh, and this one too, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's really nice all the atmospheric effects. The shaman says they say the world was nearly overrun by monsters called Denar in the time before our grandfathers. Perhaps that weapon holds memories of those days when the great wandering shaman warriors fought and slew those monsters. But that was long ago. Those shamans, for all their powers, they were men and they're all gone now. And now the cold people have come. Perhaps they're the children of the slain monsters. Maybe they'll call their monster parents back from their graves. And so Galdenar asks about the sword. He's like, what is this? Where does it come from? And so the shaman, you know, tells him that his grandfather wandered far north and found this ancient village. 
ruins of stone. I think that these are maybe a uh, Hyperborea city, right? He says yeah. up north, so we know that like Thadadris was in like the Siberian part of the world or whatever. Mm-hmm. And these ruins are so well, I mean, they're so awesome and all the little like intricate detail on them. And we see that it's totally overrun. And so as the grandfather is going through there, he finds the remains of some strange battle. A single great warrior had killed 20 or more inhuman things. And we see all their bodies strewn about. And we see that sword and it's like the blade has been broken off from the tip. And we see the remains of the warrior holding the handle of it. And this is just like what happened at the beginning of this story. Yeah. They find the sword in some abandoned location where seemingly a battle had occurred, right? Right. So th- so this sword is always kind of like the lone survivor. Right, of yeah. A, of a battle scene. Though the walls crumbled all around and time had turned flesh to dust, the edge still was sharp. The grandfather, he takes it and he starts leaving out of that place. He says that he would not even spend one night there for fear of ghosts and so as he's walking off we can see these like shadowed figures are following him and they have red eyes and so i just love the way all this is drawn we see him he kind of like goes up to the top of the hill and there he's like carving a handle i just love the way all this looks and so just as they're approaching him he's tying the blade onto the handle and then as death closed around him the warrior spirit came to him and entered into his arm and that weapon that is the premise for an entire comic yes (laughs) oh yeah yeah and i I would love to see this guy yeah yeah and but in bprd they give it to you in one panel yes (laughs) the spirit the warrior spirit entered his arm and the sword Come on, that is magnificent. Yeah. And they, they're like, oh, that's just a panel toward the end of the issue. Right. <laughs> this page is great. The whole page is excellent. Yeah, and I yeah. love the design of this warrior. And he kind of, we see his spirit kind of touch the sword and it sends like this electricity everywhere. And your grandfather was not as afraid to stand his ground. And I love the pacing of these two panels where this one where he's holding it kind of on the ground and you can see some blue light around it. And then when you turn it and it's kind of emitting all this kind of orange light and it's making the monsters flee. And this is very reminiscent of how Edward Gray used it. Sure. On In the Service of Angels, he would hold it up against that monster. And I like I kind of like this idea too that, you know, if you remember that series when Edward Gray is holding it up, he's saying all this stuff, all the religious stuff. Right, But it's right. like, and I think they talked about it more on in that same series, that it's like what you believe in. Yeah. You know what I mean? So Edward Gray used it in this way, but that doesn't necessarily mean that's the only way it could be used. You know what I mean? It possesses like some sort of spirituality that's beyond that. And it's more about like maybe intent or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, it's always like, you know, like it's your faith in what you believe in. That yes. Yes. We ta- that's what we talked about. Yeah. Thank you, Aubrey. Well, so is that Vril? Oh, yeah, yeah, That I think that might be. Usually when we see Vril, it's more like a bluish, but we have seen it this color, too. I think that idea of intent is very important, for sure. Yeah, yeah, but we have seen that that uh, that sword harnesses the Vril power. Yeah, thanks for calling back to that, Matt. And the shaman says, now the sword has come to him. What will you do with it? So then the next day, you know, he kind of, you know, they had that one scene where they all didn't know what to do, and they were, like, murmuring. And so now, uh, the next day, the soldiers are still kind of wary about it. They're talking about they've got many wounded and no food. Our numbers are too few. But Galdenar says, no, 
I had a dream. I have seen what's coming. I've seen a world overrun by monsters. These creatures, these cold people are just the beginning. If we don't stop them, things will get far worse. Our world will be overrun by things a thousand times worse than we already fought. So we fight again today. And one of them's like, oh, I don't think so. And the shaman's like, Galdenar speaks. Gather your strength. They're going to die with honor. And so we see them all going down into the woods to go after the cold people. And I like this panel. This one guy is like all nervous or whatever, where he says, we'll die with honor. This guy in the front is still, he's still unsure about the whole thing. (laughs) Yeah, so they go into the woods. And I love this top panel with like the sun coming through the trees. And it's just very beautiful as they kind of go through here. I just love the illustration on all the environment. And they run into this weird little another weird little shaman guy right yeah yeah but this is like the prehistoric professor o'donnell yeah Yeah. you're right this is their professor o'donnell you're absolutely right and he's like turn away you know leave these woods the way you came back he's telling them that it's not safe for them to be there this professor o'donnell right he he realizes that it was these warriors that sent the cold people running back down no matter, great warriors you may be, but don't be fooled, Galdenar. Your victory was nothing, and do not follow where they have gone. There are older and more terrible things in this place. And Galdenar says, well, you're here, and he's like, well, I'm protected, and he shows them this talisman that he has. Oh, Dar Sandar, that's the name of the shaman guy. And so they're they're doubtful about him, this new Professor O'Donnell, but Galdenar says, this makes sense to me. It's the evil he speaks of. That has to be destroyed. The cold people are nothing. Stay here or take those who can't fight to the top of the valley. The rest of us will go on. This Professor O'Donnell guy, he gives Galdenar his talisman. And I just love this panel as he's taking it off. Right. You know, and handing it to him. And then he opens this little jar and he takes out this red paint. And then so he starts painting all the warriors with this symbol. And it's the same symbol that's on the talisman. And I did look up a little bit of this because I was wondering, you know, what is that red paint made of? And, you know, a lot of indigenous cultures who use war paint or anything like that, they create them from plants, berries, tree barks, or colored clays. And red is often thought to be the color of war. On other occasions, the color red could also be applied to represent festivity or joy, the sun, light, life, energy, or power. All the warriors get painted up, and they look pretty awesome as they're all painted. One of of them gets it on his face. Go ahead, Matt. Do you know who Hugh Glass is? No. Um, Did you ever see the Leonardo DiCaprio movie, The Revenant? Yeah, we did see that. Revenant, I think it's called. Uh, Revenant. I have no idea. I don't know. That is just a small part of that guy's story. And I read one time that as far as pioneer times go, this guy was a survivor. And he introduced like red paint and red dye to a Native American tribe. They had planned to kill him, but let him live. Wow. After he introduced that to them. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Not fully researched. So feel free. (laughs) Thank you for that. As they go down into this temple... They run across the cold people. There's like the cold people's chief or whatever. And he's got all these skulls and they have lights in their eyes, right? So we've kind of seen that before with the Baba Yaga. He's saying in front of this big statue, that's the Black Goddess statue. (laughs) Oh, right. Yeah, that's the Hecate statue right there. And so we've seen that so many times in a bunch of the other series. And so this one guy, he says, have you come to see the last temple of the gods? You small men, now you come to pay homage, to humble yourselves to them. The old gods are returning, you know, and all must remember how to grovel before them. Come, I'm not offended by the marks you bear. Did someone tell you they would protect you? It's not true. 
I really like the way he doesn't turn around, but he knows that they're there. Oh, yeah, you're right. And I think it might be because the skulls are facing them. Yes. Oh. Creepy. Good detail. And so, yeah, he references, he calls her Black Hecata, which I thought was interesting. And her brothers, the Ogre Jihad, who were created to be masters of this world. Long ago, they were driven away, but could not be destroyed. They only slumber. As it was in the beginning, it will be again. The children of the old gods remain. And so long as we remember them, they can never die. And as he's talking, this one guy is coming up behind Carr with like a big rock. And then so as we turn the page, he like cracks him on the back of the head. And so that sets off this huge battle. But that crack is brutal. That one panel where oh, he like man. hits him. And he makes his eyeball fall out. We'll see in another panel. And so, yeah. It's like Gaul- when, I, when I am getting stuff out of the bottom cabinet and then I stand up too fast and I forgot that I already opened the top cabinet oh, door. No. And I hit my head on the top cabinet door. That's exactly what that feels That's like. That's what it feels like right there. And so Gal Denar, he's like, kill them all. So they all start battling. And these pages are just really, really great as they're all kind of getting sliced up. I like on this next panel how Gal Denar is swinging the sword. It's kind of blurry and jagged, right? Because it's mm. kind of capturing that motion as it's like flying through the air or whatever. And just all these shots as he's like chopping off the top of people's heads little creepy and everything. guy is loving it. He's like, yeah, blood splattering yeah. everywhere. <laughs> he says, yeah, he says, all blood is theirs, the glory of the true gods. And here's where we see that Carr got his eyeball smashed out as when he was cracked on the head. And so we see that all the blood is going into these ruins where they're all fighting. This is fucking disgusting. Yeah, but I love this stuff. I love as all these like heads are getting chopped in half and everything. Oh, no. And uh, so we see that all the blood is kind of like creating something. We see like all this mist starts to rise out of the ground. That's cool that how he drew the mist rising out of the ground. I like it a lot. And it starts to like form this thing. This uh, leader of the cold people, he says, Marahem. And so, you know, we've had we had Saduhem in Seed of Destruction and Plague of Frogs. We had Kothahem in The Black Flame, and then Ergohem was the one Hellboy fought in the island, and then this, so this is Marahem. Okay, well, now this guy seems super freaked out about it, though. No, well, that's the that's the good guy's Professor O'Donnell. Oh, yeah, it's Professor yeah. O'Donnell. So okay. he's there, and he doesn't have his talisman anymore, and so he gets pulled by this thing, and these tentacles pull it apart. And they they do this a couple times, but I like this effect. Like the tentacles just like squeeze him, and he just like crushes and flies apart or whatever. Horrible. Yeah, but they do that a couple times. But it just lends so much energy to this scene, and it you see the action between the panels, even though they're not there. Um, I love this as Galdenar is chopping this guy right in the mouth, and you see Ugh, his teeth are flying. Why do you keep saying that? <laughs> you love it. It's horrible. It's great though. No, it's not great. Okay. This is crazy because we love this stuff, but it's horrible. Yeah. yeah. No. Do not and love it. it. It is several pages of just bloodshed and gore. Yes. And the reason I like it is because it's in a comic book. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, it's not in the real world. Or and As soon as you see this stuff anywhere else, you'd be horrified, but... To see it here, it's like, okay, I can kind of enjoy this, you know? And and it's very stylized, too. Yeah, it's a spectacle. 
And we see this Maraham start to rise out of the ground. And the design of this is just so impressive and crazy. This is um, super cool, yeah. I love the face of this thing. It has like this giant maw and all these tentacles. So, And I like this too because it's reaching out with the tentacles and it's grabbing both the warriors and it's also grabbing the cold people too. Like it's just indiscriminately destroying everything. Yeah. yeah. And so it starts to pull Gaul Denar and he tries to use the sword to stop it, but it lifts him up into the air. And so all this motion is just really great and really dynamic as it lifts him into the sky. And then the leader of the cold people is like calling to it. He says, rise, rise, Marahem, Danny Hekata. That's what I'm going to call you. That's your new name. That's your new nickname, Danielle. <laughs> Danny Hekata. You like that? It's kind of like Hecate and no. You can't see me, but I'm looking at him. <laughs> oh, I can see you. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I'm talking about the people who are listening. No, I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and he says, wake and call forth the new race. And just then, Galdenar throws the sword at him. I love this panel of it flying through the air, this circle shape that it makes. And then it just slices this guy across the head. And I love the pacing of it, too, as, like, it just slices him. And then later we see the top of the head sliding off no. the bottom part of the head. <laughs> His eyeballs are sliced in two. Oh, yeah. That's so great. <laughs> I mean, it is horrible, but I mean, it's it's like you say, like in a comic book, it, it's fun or, you know. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to see shit like this in real life ever, but seeing it in, you know, a make-believe fantasy world, I'm okay with it. Yeah. And Mm-mm. so it, doing this, killing that one head guy, it causes the Marahem to start dissipating, right? And so I wonder if like he was controlling it with that crown that he was wearing it or was, something. Like, conjuring it, yeah. Right? And so Galdenar falls to the ground, and then we see this like all of the mist is like dissipating. The warriors are recovering. I think there's only like three of them. It looks like there's only like three or well, four of them that probably, are still alive. There's probably they're just. They're probably all taking stock of like who's alive and right. who's not, and and it wasn't the whole group because remember he sent some yeah. back right before they went in, and there yeah. could be some on the edges of the battle that are just unconscious, but yeah, so they're they're all pretty bloodied and well, battered, and, and, and I got to point out this upside down head. I'm sorry, I know that I've talked no, about the court so much, but it's yeah. like Why? he's chopped Gross. off the top of that guy's head. And then he fell backwards, upside down, and so now all the stuff from the bottom part of yes, his head. Yes, yes, is... <laughs> yes. It's very disgusting. Thank you. It's all just now leaking. I don't. I don't think that Galdernar knew killing that guy was the solution. Uh, Maybe not, but I yeah. think he just wanted him to shut up. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Yeah, he gets him like mid sentence. Right, right. As he's giving his big monologue, kind of like, "Well, if and, I'm going down, you're you're going down too," kind of a thing. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And so we see Galdenar. He gets the sword out of the ground. And then we're back to the. We're now we're back with these guys. Right. We're back with the agents, and Agent Howard's is still on the ground. And they can't get the sword out of his hand. Right. And so they're like, we're carrying him out. This is bad. And they, But they they mention again how the edge is razor sharp. Yes. So like when the guy first found it in that temple, yes. it was sharp. But yeah. even now in this yes. time that they're occupying and that they're inhabiting is still razor fucking sharp, which is very interesting to me personally. Yeah. That, I love that detail. Does, yeah. And yeah. as they're getting ready to raise Howard's out of there... This old guy comes out. He's got a Heliopic Brotherhood talisman. And he comes out. And then there's this this crazy scene right here. Like, this is just so fucked up. So he pulls out a gun. And then they're like federal agents. And so he shoots uh, Lehan. 
and then the female agent shoots him but then as he gets shot he shoots her so all three of them get shot like in this split second it's very reservoir dogs yeah yeah it did remind me of reservoir dogs literally never seen that movie ever and so Howard's is just left there. We see Scotty outside, you know, still waiting. And Howard's is just left lying there. Well, he's hanging out with his other um, homeless crust punk friends. Yes. And then we and then we see Galdenar with his tribe. And they're, you know, he's standing there. And we see some woolly mammoth or whatever. So, like... Cool. I, so I think, like, Howard's is still in this past. Yeah. You know, he's still in Galdenar. While all this is, well, you know, this thing is happening, he's just left there. Cool. And that's how it ends, right? So his body's just left there. Nobody knows that they're there. Well, I guess Scotty knows, right? Well, see, it says the end. That should yeah. definitely have a question yeah. mark after right. it, right? All right, look at this story. Uh, once again, this can only be a BPRD story. Right. Um, so many different parts of the universe are in a, intersecting to create fully realized universe. You've got some Witchfinder, Hellboy. It's outstanding. Uh, we're in this creepy room we may have heard of this location before we recognize that sword for sure yeah there's tons of drama mixed with high levels of action and supernatural elements but that at the end the room essentially attacks the agents via the old ghost or the Oh, yeah, you're right. right. It's magnificent, but it's the result of years worth of rock-solid storytelling. Yeah. Yeah. That's why it works, because seemingly it just shouldn't work. There's too many elements being thrown around here, but there's a harmony because of all the the world-building they've done up to this point. That is an Um, excellent point, yes. Yeah, and so, like, they stay true to their world with these comics. Like, uh, most people... Uh, we were talking earlier about reboots. Most of these popular comic books in, in the mainstream, they lose runway very quickly. And yeah, I don't know if they yeah. write themselves. I, you know, they might not be writing themselves into a corner, but they get to a point where I can't remember where I heard this, but like Superman's not allowed to reference anything before 1983. Right. Wow. Something like that. Right. And, uh, it's just really awkward. So that kind of, means you have to do like a reboot right Right. but um i'm also reminded of dr carp's experiment a lot uh and so i went back and reread that story it's just a short story so it was super quick right i want to read something that pauline raskin said so you know we've talked about her today too so it felt relevant yeah uh she's reading an old bprd report to hellboy when they first enter that haunted house they're in dr carp's house in the report she quotes leslie campbell who was a woman that did a seance in the house ah and the quote is the location bears a psychic imprint due to a single act of violence or some other strong emotional trauma right and so i I think that's what's happening in this room in Chicago. Like you pointed out, there were bullet holes. Right. It looked as if the other agent was uh, noticing some scratch marks in the floor. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't talk about that detail. So like something, something hardcore happened here. There was some sort of trauma. And I think that that, um, so I want to try and say this just right, but like all these intersecting elements in the story, might just be because of this one room. Right. Wow. Does that make sense? Like, yeah, like this room yes. holds some sort of psychic energy or... Um, Geomantic. That, that, 
They talk yeah. about that a lot, you know, mm-hmm. and that's kind of the same thing that it's a certain area, right, where right. Uh, stuff has to happen there. And so do you think in, this is a stretch, but in uh, the prehistoric time or like the hype, hype, well, they said it was up north. Right. But I was I was wondering if like any oh, of the locations yeah. in Galdinar's time were that Chicago location. Sure. Probably not. The room that they find in that basement is what grounds the story enough so that all those different elements kind of make sense. Right. right? It, yeah, no, it, I, I I love that. Yeah. Yeah, it gets you thinking. That's that's the best part about these stories. Piggybacking on on that comment is I love how they don't beat you over the head with it. You have to figure it out. You have to be paying attention. If you're not paying attention, you can still enjoy the story on a surface level of just it being a fucking cool-ass story. This idea of them holding this sword and getting trapped in this time travel adventure where there's these parallel worlds. But if you have been paying attention, you get so much more out of it. But you you have to put that in there of yourself. You have to kind of draw those um connections together in your own mind which is something that's been so satisfying that that's one of the things that i really like is it makes you feel like you found something yeah it, it means so much more yeah. yeah yeah you can't read one issue sometimes without saying all right hold on now i gotta get out my yeah. box <laughs> and read everything else that's happened so this can connect all the dots and sometimes you can't but that goes back to what what i was saying earlier about there being um how Scott was saying there are branches with buds on the end and you just get yeah, this tex- textured right. world. It's fun. It's great. Yeah. And I, and I really loved this story. And this was another one where I was kind of like, oh, this looks like it's another thing that doesn't have any of the main characters in it. But it's so satisfying. I love The Abyss of Time. It's one of my favorite uh, BPRD stories. Well, okay. And this is something that I remember when we like literally just first started doing this. It was like, I don't even know, like one, two episodes. I have right. no idea. The folks at Mignolaverse were like, let's interview you. And I was like, okay, it's fine. Sure. <laughs> and like, what are you looking forward to? And I was like, how am I supposed to know? Like, what? Right. I don't know. But I remember you had, in the past, like years ago, had briefly like told me about this this story and this guy. And like, maybe I had, I think I had read it or, and then you were like, I want you to read this one part here. It's really cool. And coming back and reading it now in it's the like, context in the of context everything, of yes. everything is so mind-blowing and i just i i really i love it so much and so like anyway the back when i'm just going back to what i was talking about is this guy like was saying who are you looking forward to what character and i was like oh i was i don't know i kind of want to say i had this vague idea of this this guy oh yeah ted howards and i was like oh ted howards he's like really that's what you're looking forward to really and i was like <laughs> Yeah, sure. Yeah. And yeah, no, I'm not disappointed by it. This is amazing. <laughs> it's really awesome. This is one of the coolest makes you think what a concept. Yeah. Of this this item is drawing this consciousness in and out of these places and these dimensions or these times right, or whatever right. it is. Like it's that more than almost any other idea in this BPRD verse has really snagged me. Right. And really been like, "Oh, because anytime that comes into play, I get super fascinated. Right. So anyway, but yeah, so the, I uh, I don't regret that as my answer. I think that's still a that's good a answer. answer. I think that stands. Was as it as answer, satisfying yeah. now that you've gotten to it? And then there's still more, too. There'll, there'll, there'll be more spoilers. I guess it's not big spoilers, but. All right. And so next we're going to talk about BPRD, Hell on Earth, and an Unmarked Grave. 
An Unmarked Grave is an eight-page story published in Dark Horse Presents number eight, featuring a cover by Duncan Fagredo. This is written by Mignola and Arcudi, illustrated by Duncan Fagredo, colored by Dave Stewart, and letters by Clem Robbins. And so let's talk about this cover a little bit. I know, Matt, when we were kind of talking about this story, you were like, oh, does the omnibus have the original cover? Because there's like some really kind of important stuff in there. Mm-hmm. They show Hellboy, right? Yeah. yeah. So that's, I mean, this was the cover of Dark Horse Presents. Right. So, you know, who are these people sitting on a bench? Yeah. Right. <laughs> so you got to throw Hellboy in there because Dark Horse Presents, uh, one of the purposes of that, it's it's an anthology comic with serialized short stories. And one of the one of the reasons they do that is to hook people. Right. Yeah. Mm. Uh, to, to get you into other comics. And if there's, you know, good feedback or something ended up being popular, it may become its own title down the road. So they had to put Hellboy on there, I think, right. so that people right. would be like, oh, Hellboy, right? <laughs> well, it's not, it's not necessarily out of context because they are discussing that. Right. But it's, it's definitely yeah. a symbolic, like he doesn't, he's not going to show up as a ghost in the story. So right. it's not, yeah. But he does have oh, that. Uh, he does have that force ghost kind of look here, right? He yeah, is definitely yeah, right. smoking a cigarette, a ghost cigarette. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, also a little bit about Dark Horse Presents. That comic book. That, so Dark Horse Presents was the very first comic that Dark Horse, the publisher, put out, and they released it in 1986, which was a highly pivotal year for comic books. Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns yep. came out. Mm-hmm. And Watchmen. Watchmen. Yeah. Uh, Arch Spiegelman's Mouse debuted. So oh, to wow. have, I mean, on the one hand, like, that's a pretty stiff competition for, yeah. for these guys. But on the other hand, those books are super heavy, you know, like content yeah. wise, right. like the subject yeah. matter is really heavy. So it's kind of nice to have Dark Horse Presents come out that year. And I, I remember reading it. What's really I, nice I, is I, having you here to put all this in context for us. It's <laughs> yeah. really good. Oh, yeah. Cool. Well, I, I don't think I bought it, but I do remember reading it. Somebody I knew had it, probably somebody older than me. So, yeah, I mean, it, I, you know, I remember thinking, oh, cool. There's a bunch of different stories in this one comic. Right. It was a, such a good concept. Yeah. It's good. I guess I, I started collecting comics a couple of years after that. And anytime I got like anthology stories like that, I would devour them because you know, there would just be something to read in so many different stories. But, mm-hmm. I never, but I don't ever think I got any of the Dark Horse ones. Yeah. <laughs> and so on this cover, we see Kate and Alice, right? And so this is already kind of, we know that it's going to tie some of these things together. We already know that Kate got a postcard from Hellboy during this time, and all this stuff was going on in England, and she was like, oh, that's where Hellboy was. And so here we see that she's with Alice in a graveyard, and then this one little detail right here. Did you guys recognize? Did you guys see the bench? The crown, yeah. Yeah. So do you do you recall that? In that Mab's crown. Yeah, that's Queen Mab's crown. And so I thought that that was a kind of interesting detail to put in there. It's on the bench next to Alice. Do you see the? Face? Yeah. I'm sorry. So didn't Mab leave it on the bar for her? Yeah, you're right. At the end of the Storm and the uh, Fury. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So. She still has it. Yeah. I was trying to see. It looks like there's stuff written on this on this tombstone right here in the front, but I couldn't really make anything out of that. So we open in and we see Bruno, right? And Bruno, he's got his phone and it looks like he's got four missed he calls. He is from ignoring Kate. Kate's calls. Yeah. Four missed calls. Four missed calls. He's staying there. He sees his phone, but he's He's looking at it. Yeah. That's not yeah. good. 
Everybody knows what that is. And we cut over. We see this church. And Kate is talking to Father Bill. This was also one of the guys that Hellboy was interacting with in The Storm and the Fury. So this is a short story, right? Right. Yeah. You know, anyone who's read it knows it's not just a one-off, though. This is, a, like, a very important story. Yeah. Uh, but to write a short story can sometimes be tricky, especially when you have to convey a lot of information in a very short amount of space. Right, right? yeah. Lim- limited number of pages. So look at these first three panels. This is the perfect comic page structure to me. Mm-hmm. I feel like we we start in really close on his phone. Right. right. And we get a lot of information there. The date, missed calls. We know that's Kate Corrigan. And then when you pull out, you get the expression on his face. He's sitting in his office. He doesn't look busy. Right. So he's he's been ignoring those calls. I also think that's a picture of him and Kate on his desk. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right? So so now you know that there's some sort of uh, relationship drama happening, right? right? So let, let's say that you're a regular reader of Dark Horse Presents, but not Hellboy or the BPRD. They're conveying all this information to you, and, and it serves as a hook, right? Yeah. You're like, oh, there's something going on here. There's There's some drama, and drama is essential to storytelling. And then it cuts right away to, like, the title card here over top of this church with that bit of dialogue coming out of the church. Yes, I saw him, right? So now you know if you saw the cover, you're going, oh, him, that's probably Hellboy. Right. right? So I need to know who's in this church. So I think everything that happens after those three panels is smooth sailing for the writer and the artist. I think that the heavy lifting has already been done. Wow. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. Just in those three panels, they have to set up everything um, to be able to move forward with this. And definitely it kind of seems like that relationship with Kate and Bruno kind of bookends the thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. And we see father bill and he's talking about the last time he saw Hellboy. He mentions a very young woman, very beautiful Alice Monaghan. And so Kate's like, I remember Alice Monaghan. Though she wouldn't be very young today, though. And Father Bill's like, wouldn't she? And Kate's just like, what the fuck? <laughs> Love that. Yeah. Father Bill, he mentions he saw this clash of England's noble dead to battle back the evil that was coming. The noble dead led by Arthur. I saw him in a vision that night. He came back to lead them. And Kate's just like, yeah, it was some storm. So I think she's like the scully trying to rationalize everything. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so she gives Father Bill her number. She's like, if you hear from Hellboy or if you remember anything else that might be useful. And Father Bill goes, I don't think I'll ever see Hellboy again. And this look that she gives him, this one panel, um, I think just conveys so much. Because she, I get from that one panel, one, she doesn't like hearing that. And then from her previous dialogue, like she's hopeful that Hellboy is still alive. And so him saying that, I think kind of, you know, goes against that. Yeah. So she goes back outside and she's, we can see that she's trying to call Bruno again. And she hears his voice. It's not the same. She's like, I'm sorry. This chapel, it's not so grand as Father Bill's old church. And so it's Alice. And so she comes over to talk to her. Yeah, Father Bill took me a while to hunt him down, but I'm looking for a friend. He was right about the army, you know, Alice says. I saw them, the noble dead of England. And Hellboy might have led them. He was entitled. He discovered that he was a descendant of Arthur, and he drew the sword out of the stone. He was king, or could have been. 
he could have been. But in the end, he chose to face the enemy alone. He slew her, and she slew him. And then Kate's like, what? So now she's getting actual confirmation that Hellboy's dead, you know, from somebody who says that they saw it. And Alice wipes away a tear. She says, it's true, it is. I saw that too. Kate's like, you're sure? You're sure he's really... He died so England would survive, Alice says. Survive, Kate asks. I don't know. It looks worse than most places to me. I came through London. That's gone. All over England, millions of people are dead. Everybody else, they're leaving. And so we saw how the storm was, like, destroying everything and killing all these people and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, and look at these muted colors, right? It's either, like, it feels like a dream sequence or maybe everything is just covered in ash. Right. Mm. It does seem like it's very kind of overcast and gloomy. It really lends itself to the mood of the... Mm-hmm. what's going on i love duncan Fagredo's art i love the way that he draws kate and i just think it's so interesting after darkness calls and the wild hunt and the storm and the fury and all this stuff you know we've seen him draw these scenes and when i think about them they have very bright vibrant colors and yeah. then here we get him do this like kind of very kind of quiet story that is colored differently and it just has a different kind of tone to it yeah she mentions like, oh, you keep looking at your phone. So we're brought back to this thing that brought us into the story yeah. that we were talking about, Matt. And so she's like, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to be meeting someone. So she's actually supposed to be meeting him right. there. And we know that he is yeah. not there. He's in his office. And we all know where his office is. So it's a very like, so anyways, they get back to it. They're like, look, I'm, I'm used to strange things. But, you know, King Arthur, I don't know if I can believe all that stuff. And she's like, yeah, well, she's kind of going to this esoteric thing. England is wounded. Yeah. England is this, England is that. And so um, a lot of people are leaving. Others will be coming. You should stay. And she and touches it's very, Kate's hand. She touches yeah. her hand. And she's, it's just a very, she's in this very kind of half in, half out. Right. She's, yeah. she's, she's totally like, I feel like she's totally now is like a, fairy tale person right at this point she's she's gone over yeah we all the way we've talked about that a lot how hellboy stories are in this fantastical yeah. world the bprsd stories are very grounded and so we're kind of seeing almost an interaction yeah. between those two yeah. concepts here i she's, love that she's still thinking of her as like this is just a person i found in a graveyard right, right. So she's like what are you talking about <laughs> what are you talking about yeah and kate says there's a whole world that's suffering i'm needed out there not here England doesn't need you, Alice says. You need her, though, I think. People will come here. England, she'll call to them. Hellboy baptized this land with his blood. So it's still, it's more of this very, like, flowery prose, this very esoteric kind of symbolism stuff, baptizing the England with your blood. It's a very, I don't, you know, I don't really follow this. I think, I feel like Kate is kind of like, all right, what? We see a flashback of Nimue pulling Hellboy's heart out at the end of the Storm and the Fury. Where buildings once stood, a garden will grow, Alice says. People will come because they'll dream of it. The best. The last garden on Earth. Hellboy would want you to stay. He fought for the heart of England and the soul of the world. But yes, the body of the world is dying, just as you say. But see, not here. And just in front of them, some lilies have bloomed. Yeah. And so we've learned in various stories that Hellboy's blood um, causes the lilies to bloom. And so Kate's like, those things weren't there when I came in, were they? And I love this expression on her face, yeah. too. Well, and these, um, the overall theme of like where the lilies are growing, that, that's how you know it's a certain type of a place right, or a certain yeah. type of person was here. And it's not just 
strictly only Hellboy's blood that will do this, but it's like it's kind of has to do with, you know, certain people in certain places and certain events that happen there. And it's a very, it's all kind of tied to this. Right. We've seen these lilies. I mean, I, you know, I come back to the, that huge two panel, that, that double splash page that Mignola did. But the and lilies King were part of it. Yeah. Yeah. The lilies were part of it. And so, like, this has become such an overreaching symbol in this, yeah. in these stories that it's something that's, yeah, as soon as you see it, the reader, yes. I mean, as soon as the reader sees it, we're immediately tied to all of these right. emotions and memories that we've got associated with that. So that to us is an instant signifier. I also like uh, how they talk about like uh, the garden will grow to be the last garden and people will dream about it to come there. And um, I just kind of like that idea of that storytelling. Yeah. You know, it's been used in other mediums before, but I, I, I don't know, something about it I always enjoyed. Uh, but I also like to think about it as like... Um, Hellboy, in giving his life, you know, he probably created the one oasis in a world that's going straight to hell. Right, yeah. Life is a cycle, Kate. Things have to die so others can live. I'm not telling you anything you don't know, Alice says, but it's terrible sometimes. Violent and terrible. And if you go now, maybe you won't be able to come back. Alice. It is Alice, isn't it, Kate asks? He's gone? He's really gone? And Alice says yes. And I love this uh, this interaction because Alice is still kind of speaking in this whole kind of yeah. grand scheme yeah. of things. Life is a cycle. But Kate's just thinking about her friend. Right. Exactly. And so when Alice says, you know, that he really is gone, there's this one panel of just Kate. She's like crying. And then she says, I can't believe it's hopeless. How can I turn my back on everybody? Everything else. I can't just stay here and give up. And that's that expression that she has right there. She's like, it feels like she's holding back the tears yeah, a little bit, you know? Right. Just really evokes so much emotion. I can't, and I don't think Hellboy would want me. And just then, the phone rings again. So she turns her attention from speaking with Alice. Well, I don't think it's that. I don't think Hellboy would want. I think I don't think Hellboy would want me to right. do that thing. I think exactly. is what she was yeah. about to say. But then, yeah, Bruno calls her back, and she's like, "I've been calling and calling." I already found that Father Bill guy, and Bruno's like, Kate, Kate, stop, Kate. You need to listen to me. I'm still in Germany, Kate. I'm not coming. I can't do it anymore. It's too complicated. I'm sorry. And when he says, I'm sorry, she's already pulled the phone away from her ear, which I think is just yeah. just that lends so much emotion. And so Bruno's still calling for her, and when she looks back, Alice is gone, and there's just lilies everywhere. Everywhere. I mean, like an ocean, a carpet of lilies, just an ocean of lilies everywhere. Yeah. And it's beautiful, you know? It kind of leaves it on this beautiful, and it leaves, as a reader, I feel like it leaves you with this, like, melancholy. It's beautiful, but it's so kind of sad and somber. And, you know, thinking about Duncan Fagredo's arc on this series... You know, uh, now we know that he's going to come back and do some more art. But at the time, this was kind of his last little thing. Wow. You know, and so I thought that that was really interesting that after all this stuff that he's this incredible work that he's done in this trilogy for Hellboy, he kind of has this epilogue that's just very kind of quiet and beautiful. And I think it lets him stretch his abilities, too, because, you know, this work that he does with the lilies on these last pages is just really, really beautiful. So I... I love this story. Yeah. I when I first read it, this was a long time ago, I feel like. I read it a few times in a row. Mm. And something was nagging at me. And so as I have a tendency to do, I started to connect dots that may not be dots worth connecting. <laughs> right. But 
like Aubrey was just talking about, Alice says, the last guard on Earth. And then in that same panel, she starts talking about how Hellboy fought for the heart of England and the soul of the world. And soul is uh, bold. Ah, right. right. They, they made that word bold. So then I started thinking Garden of Souls. Oh, right? yeah. BPRD Garden of Souls. And maybe in this case, it's a more literal Garden of Souls, right? Because right. she's speaking in, you know, she's been touched yeah. by the fairies. So is she being poetic? Is she being literal? You just don't know. Yeah. So I started thinking about that more and more. And then it occurred to me, you know, why did they name this an unmarked grave? Is the unmarked grave uh, England? Is it that cemetery? Right. Are they just referencing the fact that Hellboy died and didn't have like a proper burial or a headstone or something? So, okay, buckle up. Because, <laughs> uh, like I said, this, this might not be a theory. And also, this is my reaction to the story when I first read it. Although we know for a fact that the creators of these stories design them in such a way that you can read them in an all new light the more future issues right you read. yes mm -hmm. so when you go back and reread you yes. start to see things and and you're like oh wow that was foreshadowing something right yeah like i didn't i didn't know at the time but now i see it so clear so when i first read it the unmarked grave thing really stuck with me now i'm a big fan of spaghetti westerns mm-hmm and my favorite is The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Remember, we have thought of The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly before in BPRD Garden of Souls number one when we see Roger's headstone has the name Archie Stanton on it. Right. right. Yeah, that is a reference to that movie. In The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, they're searching for buried treasure in an unmarked grave <laughs> next to Arch Stanton's grave. Hmm. Oh. So here we have unmarked grave is the title she's talking alice is talking about garden of souls so then i went back and started rereading garden of souls you sound like I professor o'donnell right, <laughs> right. Okay. i know i know and i always think sometimes they've made that character to to, to, be, yeah. to be us yeah he's, he's, he's the reader you, right yeah. <laughs> but why do i go back to garden of souls right what is is it a clue are they building something in here Right. Is this an is this another bud that's just there for world texture or are is it misleading or are we supposed to keep this in mind down the line? Right. So anyway, I just thought that was really interesting that they would call it an unmarked grave when there isn't a literal unmarked grave. For sure. No, it's food for thought. It definitely is. Food yeah. For thought. So I dig it. Anyway, like I said, might not be worth connecting. But what if that's you know. where the lilies were? That's where they put Hellboy's because he's no i don't know uh, i kind of had a similar thought you know because you know they're calling it an unmarked grave we know that hellboy's blood springs forth these lilies and then when it ends there's lilies everywhere yeah. and it made me yeah. think a couple things it was like well did his blood like just go all over and this is like his this is the spot where he died or it's just england in general and then it also made me think about this interaction with kate and alice like did that really happen right you know what i mean like Alice exists in this kind of fairy dimension or yeah. whatever. And so there's just a lot of just a lot of food for thought when you're reading this. It's still a good story, whether any of that is yeah, no, a thing absolutely. or not. But, but you're, remember, you're trying to tie these things together, which just makes it more. It just it's, it's an enrichment 
process. I feel like it's anything that you, the more you think about it, the more you engage with it, you're just going to get that much more out of it, no matter what, you know, like whether that's the initial intentions of the creators or not, like um, that can, that doesn't mean that you're not getting anything out of that process and engagement. And here we are again, like I need to pull out all the back issues and keep trying to connect stuff. So remember the last time we saw Queen Mab, she said, to Alice, you know, Hellboy's fighting the dragon. And she referenced that Hellboy was buying time for his friends. Yeah. And remember that? And then they show Liz, Abe, and Roger. Right. I mean, well, that was a that was a mysterious thing to me at the time. I was like, why is she showing them? Exactly. Yeah. Right? And so here now, later, they're talking about that. That same scene, right? And right. And uh, when he died, and now I'm thinking of Roger again. Yeah. But why? So anyway, yeah, it's just it's just fun to be like, yeah, it is constantly questioning. What are they trying to tell me? Yes. Are they trying to tell me anything, or am I just you know going crazy? But I think that's like a it's a true benefit to these books. I mean, I can't tell you how many Batman stories I've read and then just put the comic down yeah. and forgot about. Yeah, it. yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah. This kind of so. this kind of mythos world building you know mm-hmm. it, it doesn't happen that often and i think the way that you're engaging with it is really nerdy no no no. i was gonna say <laughs> i was gonna say you're you're getting that much more out of it and that's i think that's yeah. something that's a testament to what they've built you know there's a solid foundation with you know what Mignola started off with and then you you go from there and all these people now are involved in the project and they each lend their own thing to it and it just has become something that we all love and enjoy and i think that in any anything you're getting out of it is yeah feel free to share that and if you're you know listening to this if you want to write in like well i thought that it was calling back to this and that please feel free to give us a hey damn guys and tell us what it meant to you or tell us what it reminded you of and you know i think that that's uh, that's what we're here to do that's the whole thing we're reading hellbook comics and talking to our friends yeah yeah, and without all the speculation and trying to infer and figure out what the story is really telling you, on a surface level as well, Kate just found out Hellboy's dead, and then yeah. Bruno left. Right, her. That's fucking sucks. you know what I mean. So yeah. that's the other. And she talked part to of like it. a mythical fairy girl who wasn't really there, right? Probably. Or I don't know. Yeah, so that's also kind of leaves you with a, a lot to think about. And we talk a lot about how the characters in here are realistic, and they don't kind of put everything in the same kind of box that other comic books would and i think a lot of people have really loved kate and bruno and so for it to end like this yeah you know for bruno to be like it's too complicated it is though very complicated and that's something that she's she's even within that very story like right before she's answering the phone she's talking about making a choice she's like no hellboy wouldn't want me to just i gotta go there's people all over the world suffering and i gotta go figure this out and i'm gonna keep going out there and so bruno's just like man i can't handle it kind of sorry like and you know so it's yeah that's really heartbreaking but yet very realistic it's an insight into what kate is sacrificing what she's going through what she has to you know what i mean like she's it's a lot, and I think we've even talked about that before, of like just exactly what she has to go through to do what it is that she does and how determined she is to do it, and it's a testament to that. Yeah. Yeah, actually, Don, I'm glad you brought that up because I was about to bring that up uh, myself. Yeah, no, I know. I love the story. It was great. It was a nice little epilogue to The Storm and the Fury, and it was nice to, that Kate got to learn 
Hellboy's fate. But then the whole thing with Bruno just breaking up with her just made the story ever just it just ended on a down note. <laughs> yeah, you know. Um, yeah. But I mean, it's still a great story, and I'm really kind of bummed about the whole Bruno Kate thing. Kate'll survive. Yeah, and in a couple stories, they did mention that she was in Europe or that she was in England or whatever. So yeah, this is kind of showing what she was doing there. The whole entire story isn't just a big down note. I mean, the whole yeah. thing. It's it's very well, it's D minor, man. Like this is <laughs> yeah. Well, it's just like you know, in the last story we saw with Kate, she was in Russia, and she's like, you know, my bags are packed. I'm going to england i'm gonna see bruno right you know, yeah she's yeah. gonna check in on the hellboy thing and then this this is what right. happened yeah yeah this story is about communication and mm-hmm. communicating mm-hmm. and i mean i mean they have several versions of it here right it's like yeah conveying information asking questions and by the way anytime kate is in the field i am just yeah right like yeah i love kate stories i think this is so cool and you know all the information that she's gathering now the bprd knows right you know that she's going to relay all this back to them in a report or something but until then until she sits down and types that report up which you know kate's gonna do right right but in until then it's so emotional yeah and and it's like it's like one of you guys was just saying, like, you have Alice, who represents, like, the fairy folk, right? Right. And Kate, who's, like, the grounded. Yes. Doing human, her best right? to hang on to reality. Yeah. And, and, like, she gets an invite from, I mean, this is, like, yeah. Queen Queen Mab's apprentice or something now. Right? It's, like, yeah. she practically gets an invite when she says, you should stay. Yeah. And it's, like, England doesn't need you. You need her. Yes. Yeah. And and it's, I mean, that's deep, right? So yeah. it's here's here's Kate, like standing on the line between fairy and human, right? Right. And she has an opportunity to go one way, and then she's immediately interrupted by human drama. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. and again, again, this is just like me trying to make something out of the title. I don't know if that was intended, because that. This is a lot for like an eight page story. Like it really would, is, yeah. Yeah. You would imagine like editor and writer sitting around for weeks trying to talk about all these different angles, right? Um, unless it comes to them much easier than that. But for it to end with, you know, Kate dot 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 question mark. Right. Uh, you know, yeah. as Bruno says to her, it's like, What are you gonna do, Kate? Right. You know, it's like we're all going, Kate, what's next? What are you right. gonna do? Are I guess gonna she stay could stay there, there. yeah. 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 So I, I can't remember the very next time we see her, but it's tragic to me that this place now looks so magical, right? right? Mm. And uh, not bleak anymore, and probably going to recover in some way through the benefit of magic, right? Right. And she's like, nope, I have duty. Yeah. I, I have a sense of duty. I have responsibility. I'm, I'm going to save the world. Yeah. And that's heavy. That's a big deal. So, you know, I think you can see it in her face at the end when she sheds one last tear that and, you know, she's on the verge of like bursting into tears right. this whole time. Yeah. I think she's like, I have a job to do. Yeah. And that's so Kate. And that's, you know, we need her to do that because we want her to be part of the story still. There's so also, there's yeah, also it's a, very heavy. There's also a 
a feeling for me of well what else was would this all have been for right you know like right. i yeah. is this this all would have just been in vain like you know what i mean she's like that's it and i settle down and get an okay cupid account and i'm gonna <laughs> crochet <laughs> dolls or something like you know what i mean like what is she gonna fucking do she starts saying i don't think hellboy would want me to quit or whatever right, she was yeah. gonna say and so in some cases it would be considered like the sunken cost fallacy but for her she's come too far to be anything right, else at yeah. this point yeah one more note about the art for has a fully realized bench here you see that bench from all angles oh, right <laughs> yeah <laughs> like like he is not just yeah. he's not just putting people he on a, a bench he did a bench study and that was not going to waste right. he was going to use that shit yeah, I mean, you go all the way around yeah, yeah. the bench. Yeah, you yeah, really do. do. That's and incredible. You're even above it. Yeah, it's pretty good. I wonder if, because there are you can there are programs where you can get like a 3D model render of like certain objects and right. stuff and see it at any angle. I wonder if he's or if he's just like really fucking good at drawing. Yeah, or maybe the he has that bench in his like garden. Sure. Oh yeah, yeah. Maybe. He's like sketching yeah. the bench. I love that. Thanks for pointing that out, Matt. Yeah, I've totally overlooked sure. that. You match. see that it's beautifully from, rendered. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Every angle, like you said, exactly. He nailed it. Uh, every th- every angle except from like beneath it. But that sure. would be a weird shot. <laughs> and so, uh, really quickly, talking about the Hell on Earth Volume Two Omnibus Sketchbook, some things I thought were interesting in here. We see a lot of sketches by Max Fumara of Hellboy, and Scott Alley writes that they wanted to see him draw Hellboy. So that's why they got him to do that story, the transformation yeah. of J.H. O'Donnell, because they wanted to see him draw Hellboy. And yeah, his Hellboy is awesome. And they also mention uh, there are some great sketches of Divizia and the Minotaur. Apparently those were Fumara's designs, and the designs of those insect creatures were Fumara's take on Mignola's design. And we also get a bunch of sketches of the Abyss of Time story. Scott Alley writes, Mike had long threatened to do a caveman comic. <laughs> at times planning on writing it himself. At times with John Arcudi. He had a lot of sketchbook material to give James Heron for Abyss of Time. And so we look through this and there are a ton of sketches. And it's like, on one hand, I would love to see I Mignola know. do his version of the story. Yes. But at the same time, I loved James Heron's version. Good. So it it's kind of like, you know what I mean? Yeah, but there's a lot of cool sketches. Yeah, saying that you would like to see him do something like that. We're not trying to diss, obviously, the right. amazing art of James Heron. And he also writes that for a long time, it was going to be called BPRD Caveman. Awesome. So yeah, I thought that was kind of <laughs> cool, too. Yeah, because we could definitely expand more on Galdenar and some of the stuff that was going on there. I would love to see that. Wait, you're saying there's never anything else? I don't know. Well, you'll have to. You'll have I'm to see. I'm gonna be real upset. You'll have to see. If I recall, the intention, and and I think this has been documented, the intention was that would be all there was. Ugh. Ah, okay. Yeah, but then me the off. reader, well, the reader reaction was huge. Yeah. You so know, we'll everyone see. loved that. Yeah, they did. And we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll see what happens with that. And then we also get great designs by James Heron of the Marahem in his sketchbook that look really awesome. All right. So that was a great discussion. Thanks again, Matt, so much for joining us for a second week in a row Not on this monster mind. episode. Thank you. Yeah, I, I'm loving this. This is a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah you lend so much uh, great discussion to the conversation. So it's great to have another book club member, book club to, member. Yeah. To, to rely on. And you, and, and you have so much uh, more expertise with us in terms of the artistic part of it. So it's really great to have all your insights. 
And uh, we'll have another great episode next week. And now Aubrey's going to say all the things. All right, everybody. Uh, share us your thoughts on Pickens County Horror, the transformation of J.H. O'Donnell, Abyss of Time, and an Unmarked Grave. You can send us a Hey You Damn Guys at HellboyBookClub at gmail.com. You can follow us on Facebook at Hellboy Book Club Podcast and on Instagram and Twitter at Hellboy Book Club. You can also find the Discord link on our Facebook page along with the reading order. Also, check out our friends and Mignolaverse for all the wonderful stuff that they do over there. And always thank you to Paul from Gardaharn for the awesome theme. Yeah. You can find the podcast on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Next week, we will be discussing the BPRD Hell on Earth Return of the Master. So... Mm. I hope that's a Doctor Who reference. Uh, <laughs> no. So pull out your back issues, pull out your trades, pull out your omnibuses, your digitals, and all that fun stuff, and join us next week on the Hellboy Book Club podcast. Thanks a lot, everybody. I'm John Salinas. And I'm Danielle. And I'm Matt Trackline. And I'm Aubrey Lovelace saying, I must speak to Miss Corrigan immediately. <laughs> <laughs>